Welcome to the second ever Highlands United Methodist podcast. I'm Phil Amthor, and I've got Reggie Holder here. Welcome, Reggie. Great. It's great to be here. Good morning, Phil. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Me too. Me too. I've been looking forward to it. After our first episode with Micah, people have been given feedback, and I say, yeah, Reggie's next, and I think everyone's excited. Oh, good. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. <laughs> um, quick update. So this is uh, this podcast is an effort to for- further our stewardship campaign, which is, I'd say we're at halftime. We're at halftime in terms of time, but we're halftime in terms of pledges, too. And um, we are up by what we've asked folks for, the 5% increase, yep, in pledges. Um, And so that's good. And just to remind folks, we want to have all the commitments in by Christmas Eve. Um, So we'll stay on topic real quick. Um, We have you to thank, Reggie, for the... um, the generosity of spirit theme to this campaign. I'm going to read your Meacham quote, and then I want to ask you where where it came from, because you, you seem to have it at the ready. So um, this quote from John Meacham, the author and historian, to have generosity of spirit is to act with kindness, to be open and willing to share with others without any expectation of receiving something back in return. So you sent that along with several other thoughts. So where did where did this theme come from? Well, I, I was just in staff meeting, and uh, Micah mentioned offhandedly that uh, your stewardship team was looking for a theme, and um, my wife's really into this instrument. We've done it at the church several times over the year called Strengths Finder, and my number one strength is ideation. I'm an <laughs> idea person, yeah, and, okay. and I, I it, it's a blessing and a curse, and so I, I like coming up with ideas. So I just over the next week or so, I just thought about that and thought about what I thought might be a good thing. I didn't, I was really thinking y'all probably already had a theme in mind, but I, I sent it out anyway. I wrote a, uh, a couple of paragraphs. I used the Meacham quote. I, I looked that up and came across it. And, um, it just, it seemed to be, uh, sort of indicative of where I think Highlands is right now and kind of where I am in personally. I think generosity is a hallmark of Highlands United Methodist Church, and uh, I'm kind of, uh, the Holy Spirit is something I think about a little bit these days, so it just it all kind of came together. Uh, it just, it, it popped up. Good. Well, so I'm, I, uh, I'm in your discipleship class, and what you're saying now reminds me of um, something that we talked about. It was early on in the Old Testament part that we just finished, and there's um, there's something about the covenant, and I did my reading of the Bible itself. I didn't do the reading in the book, and so one of the first questions you ask is, uh, "What's the so what is a covenant?" <laughs> and the first thing I said was contract, <laughs> right? And uh, and then I t- of course I turned to the page in our in our you know reading guide and it says a covenant is not a contract, <laughs> so. Um, so uh, a covenant is different from a contract, and now that I understand it, it seems to relate quite closely to generosity of spirit, this non-transactional kind of relationship. Right. Uh, do I have that right? And can you can you say it better than I probably just did? I don't know that I could say it any better, except I think uh, a contract is uh, sort of give and get. 
And a covenant is sort of uh, maybe you're getting what you don't deserve. You're getting more than you deserve. Uh, and I think I think of generosity uh, as we've experienced it at Highlands, and and uh, our church has changed over the years. Our heart as a congregation has softened by our ministry with the poor in the neighborhood. It has changed us. Uh, we have not solved homelessness. We have not solved all the problems of the city, but we've changed. We've become better people. And a part of that is generosity, and generosity is not expecting anything in return. Uh, you're generous. I mean, you, you, you experience that with your child. You, you know, you, you would do anything for your child. Mm-hmm. You want your child to have it better than you had it. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that, that's sort of a different level. That's, that's mm-hmm. how God is with us. God wants the very best for us. God somehow created us, gave us this life, put us in, in this beautiful world. And uh, God's, God's not uh, conditional with that. We don't earn it. We don't live up to it. Uh, it's there whether we deserve it or not. Uh, hopefully we respond to that in a good mm-hmm. way, but uh, uh, that is a little different from a contract where, uh, you know, we're... And some people do have a contractual relationship with God, and that's that can lead to some really bad theology. When something <laughs> bad happens, they think that something mm-hmm. they did. You know, you mm-hmm. get sick, well, you must be a bad person. Mm-hmm. We don't believe that. We, we're into generosity, and we're into grace. That's Those are our benchmarks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to return to that and to some theology, but I would be remiss if I did not have Reggie on a podcast and not ask you to tell the green car story. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's really important that they hear this green car story, and then I have a follow-up after after you're done with it. Well, a couple of years ago, right as the pandemic was starting, uh, our family was going through a really rough patch, and uh, we were we were we were struggling. Graham had come home from school and had some some real issues, and you know the pandemic was coming. It was a hard, hard time. And one day, I was just literally at the end of my rope. I didn't think I could put one foot in front of the other, and I was on my way going down Third Avenue South, uh, approaching uh, UAB. And I just kind of looked up to heaven and in uh, and just sort of had a plea, God, I need to sign. Everything's going to be okay. Because I wasn't feeling it. And right as I did that, this Shrek-colored <laughs> green Dodge Charger zoomed past me. And so in my best Yiddish voice, I said, is that my sign? And a second Shrek green Dodge Charger came by. So, well, I guess it is. And so uh, I, I just took it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I needed some encouragement. I took it, whether I believed it rationally. Uh, I needed it so bad, I was looking for something. And so I thought, all right, a green, a Shrek green car is my sign. Well, Green cars were a little rarer then mm-hmm. than they are now. They've come, you know, you see lots more of them, but I shared that with people, and people would send me pictures every time mm-hmm. they would see an oddly green car. And it was anything from Shrek to Kermit to Palm Olive dishwashing liquid, any any shade of green. And people would see, send me those and say, I, I, I saw your sign today. I saw a green car. And it was just, it was so encouraging, and it, w- it built such community. I mean, I felt like I wasn't alone in my struggle. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
I still get them, you know, at least once or twice a week, somebody will send me a picture of a green car. My kids send them. I mean, it's a big thing in our family. Mm-hmm. It's how we kind of say, I love you. It's going to be okay. And, and sure enough, everything worked out well. Uh, Graham ended up at Auburn and, and doing great. And, uh, so that's my thing. That's, that's, that's the mystery of faith to me. It looks like a green car. <laughs> yeah. I remember that sermon. Uh, so the first one came, and then you said, is that my sign? And then a second one came. Yes. I mean... <laughs> and I have a picture of them. <laughs> later, about two or three months later, I was at the Birmingham airport, and they're rental cars. They both uh. were sitting side by side. Those same two green cars were in the... Uh, I want to say it's the budget lot. I'm not sure, but I got a picture. I took. I stopped and took a picture uh-huh. of those two cars sitting side by side in the airport. I love it. Um, and uh, you made a point about that at our uh, our last Bible study where we were ending the our reading of the Old Testament, and you said something like, um, "It really does keep a sense of community because people send it. It's kind of like there's got to be something there in terms of ritual and practice and." Um, and, and how things like that develop. I mean, um, if this were older times, that might have become like part of a part of a religious custom. Um, well, that, that may be that may be how some faiths developed. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, like I said, it spoke to me in the time, and it still does. It, it still speaks to me in a in an odd sort of way. Um. All right. Well, so back to the Old Testament. Uh, you said something in one of the the first uh, the first sessions we had. You said something about the Old Testament to you was a is a social justice story, or it has a social social justice theme. Yeah. I was going to ask you to talk about that yeah. real quick. Well, yeah, I, I've I've really come to understand that more uh, in the last couple of years than I ever realized before. Um, you know, uh, Micah 6, 8 speaks to me very powerfully. What does the Lord require of you but to seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? So I kind of knew that justice was in the Old Testament and the, the prophets, but it's all the way back to the beginning to, uh, you know, that God... Uh, God had a sense of care for Adam and Eve in that ancient story when he cast them out of the garden. He still clothes them. He still cares for them. And, and uh, the story of the Exodus uh, lays this pattern that uh, the Hebrew people are going to look after the alien. They're going to look after the immigrant. They're, they're not going to, even as suspicious as they were of foreigners, they didn't want their, their children to marry foreigners, but they wanted to care for the foreigner. They wanted to care for uh, the, the people who were living on the edge because they had been enslaved. They had lived that out. Uh, they wanted to take care of the widow and the orphan. And that's, that whole sense of generosity mm-hmm. uh, is, is led uh, throughout the whole, um, the whole story of Israel. And then when you get to the New Testament, that's the work of Jesus, is mm-hmm. looking out for the the least, the last, the lost. Uh, it, it's just a, it's a thread that's wo- woven throughout Hebrew Scripture and throughout the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Well, so I I could talk about the theology of this all day. Um, I got to tie it back to the stewardship campaign. So 
what we're doing, I would call it a small group, the Bible study. And uh, we have a lot of different groups, uh, a lot of different studies, a lot of things that I would call a small group program. Something kind of for everybody. Uh, and we've been very intentional about timing things. And when I say we, it's a lot of it's you. Um, so, so our, our group meets on Sunday evening when the youth group meets so that it's convenient for parents. And so we've, we've got a lot of that built in and, um, and then we're about to start our fellowship dinners or we've, we've already started. Yeah. I think about half of them have met now. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we, we have a, I'm in the beginner class of, of, uh, going through the old Testament. We'll start the new Testament in the new, new year. It's the discipleship, um, Group, I guess, for lack Cycle of cycle Bible study. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, what are what are some of the other ones uh, that's in our? I'll, I want to call it our small group program, yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> it is a small group programming. It, we, we call it Growing Ministries, Discipleship Ministries. So, uh, we did Disciple Bible study for many years, and then we sort of had uh, we'd peaked out on it. It kind of feels good to start it back. I really like our Sunday night group. I'm really excited. We're through with the Old Testament and getting to the New Testament because. Mm-hmm. That there will be a different uh, spirit there. Uh, that's more familiar. The reading's a little easier. That'll be really good, and we'll finish up by Easter, and we look forward to starting the same thing again next fall uh, to offer that uh, on an ongoing basis. We have our EFM group, which is a little new to folks. Uh, it's called Education for Ministry. It is a four-year deep-dive Bible theology study, church history study, uh, our group meets on Wednesday. We've had some folks who've been meeting over at All Saints Episcopal. We started during the pandemic. Uh, we were invited, a group of us invited to do that, and it felt so good and so right. We started a group at Highlands, but we have this group of uh, five or six folks that are finishing over there. They'll uh, uh, The first group will finish at uh, this, this summer, and uh, we, we see that ongoing. Uh, we take two or three new students a year into that. Uh, and it's it's a big commitment, but it's it is a deep dive. I, it feels like a three hundred or four hundred level course mm-hmm. to me. Uh, you read Old Testament your first year, New Testament your second year, uh, church history your third year, and theology your fourth year, and you have all those classes meeting together, sharing their reading, and a, a couple of hour, two and a half hour class every every week. So that's going really well. Um, our speaker, summer speaker series the last couple of years has been really well received. That was a great re-entry after the pandemic to kind of get us back to normal. Uh, we had some excellent speakers. We did sort of people sharing their personal faith summer before last. This past summer, we had people from different faith groups sharing their story and their insight. That was, uh, that was really well received. Uh, this fall for Sunday School, Scott... Uh, Williams, Ned Rann are two of my heroes because they started up and they, they, they taught a, a class on Mr. Rogers' faith, and <laughs> that was really well received. Uh, we heard from some parents. They kind of wanted something focused towards them, so we did our, uh, our parenting series for 12 weeks. Which I did, which was fantastic. It was really good, and, and people brought their kids to Atrium, so that yep. increased Atrium. So we've tried to work a little smarter uh, <laughs> in, in, in doing that. Um, in January, we've got a one-night series. We've got uh, 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 Richard uh, Friedman, who's coming, and uh, Brooke Bowles from uh, 
the Jewish Community Center are coming to talk about how events in the Middle East mm-hmm. affect uh, our local community, and that'll be very insightful. So we, we try to do some stuff that's a little edgy. Um, we've uh, Whaley Song and uh, Dr. Sonia Heath, Dr. Whaley Song are doing a class in January on uh, sort of podcast. They've they pulled together some podcasts that they think are. Uh, really good and redeeming, and people will listen to the co- podcast and uh, then discuss it. So uh, that's so they're both doctors. Is there like a medical angle? They're just no, they're uh, doing okay. it from their faith perspective. Oh, okay, yeah, very cool. And uh, they're very excited about that. I'm excited about that. Uh, we have another parenting class, the blessing of a skin knee. Nancy Barkermeyer's doing that, and then Dr. Larry Brasher, retired. Professor of Religion at Birmingham Southern is going to do a class on the Apostles' Creed, so that'll start oh. the new year out. Yeah, that's that's some really good stuff. So it's uh, there's a lot of variety, and um, and it changes. Yes, and so there can be seasons in life, like when we have a newborn in January, that might be rough for us to be as involved, but in the fall, yeah, there will be new things to start back up. Yep. Um, very cool. Okay, I asked Micah this. I'm asking you, do you get nervous when you preach still? Um, I do get nervous still. Um, more than that, I get excited. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to talk. <laughs> uh, I find our congregation is so engaged and so supportive, and there are two or three people that uh, you get really good vibes from. They're, they're listening. People talk to you afterwards. Uh, they don't always agree. They, they might take exception to something I've said, and they want to talk to it in a very loving, civil manner. And so, uh, yeah, I do get nervous, uh, but more than that, I get excited. I like, uh, I love our congregation. I love our church, and uh, I, I love the opportunity to preach just the amount I do. You know, I, mm. I wasn't called to be a preacher, uh, and so uh, I can't imagine having to do that week to week. But every six to eight weeks, it feels just right, and I, I do, uh, I find our our congregation. Uh, I'll say more than a lot of congregation, they really listen. Mm-hmm. They listen. They're 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 taking it in. They're they're. Uh, and, and, and it is kind of a dialogue, maybe not in that moment, but afterwards people, people are very good to, to respond and to talk about what, what connected with them or to ask questions or to clarify. I just I think it's a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell that you get moved um, <laughs> when, you're, when you're preaching. I do. And uh, it's really special. And to me, maybe this is wrong. You tell me. But when it, um, when the theme or the message relates to children, and of course you do children's moment, you know, more often than anyone. Uh, is that is that accurate? Or maybe I've missed the other times. Or what do you? Th- I mean, well. I, you know, I used to be very embarrassed that I would get so emotional, and you know, uh, I get choked up a little bit, and I feel like I'm going Jimmy Swagger, you know, all the tears, and, and, and I don't do that, but I. Uh, no, you don't. It's subtle. It's subtle. I don't. I mean. Yeah, but uh, uh, I I wear my emotions. 
close to the surface. Uh, I don't have a good poker face. And, uh, and I believe and feel when, 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 I, when I talk about children, when I talk about things I love, my family, when I look out and think about people in our church, it just it makes me emotional. Mm-hmm. And, and so I guess um, as I've gotten older and hopefully a little wiser, uh, I trust that. Mm-hmm. I feel that if I'm getting emotional, that it's important. It's something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in a strange way, it's given other people permission. I have, uh, 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 well, I won't call a name, but some s- someone very important in the congregation told me one time, you know, you 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 made it easier for me to do that. Yeah, it's a different side. So yeah, it, it hasn't. It certainly has an effect on me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's special. Um, <clears throat> I. Um, one of our congregation, I won't name him because I didn't ask his permission. Yep. But um, he referred to you as the conscience of Highlands, and uh, I asked him what he might ask you about if you were sitting in this chair, and he said, "You're such a good church historian. Maybe your story about how the church turned around figuratively and literally, and now to." today serves all facets of its immediate neighborhood would be an interesting topic. Well, I'll tell you, uh, that is a fascinating story. And I'm really glad to have been able, uh, through some time and some relationships, to piece that together. And I have written it down. Uh, You know, I hope hope to do something with that one day, to be a little more discipline to, to help tell that story. But it is, a, it's a powerful story of transformation. And Bishop Will Williman, uh, when he was Bishop of North Alabama, first of all, he was, he was, he was a little controversial, wasn't very popular, but he loved Highlands. He understood Highlands and, and we kind of loved him and understood him in a way maybe some other folks didn't. But he said, and I, I just thought this was so true. He said, if you don't believe in the power of transformation, Go to Highlands United Methodist Church. Mm. That is a place that has been transformed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I mean, to go from a church that was the organizational site for the Methodist Layman's Union, a clearly racist, uh, fear-based organization, so scared of progress and so scared of the idea of desegregation, to go from a congregation that once had worship at 1045, so they could lock the doors at eleven to keep anybody they didn't want in. Wow! I mean that that's that's who we were, mm-hmm. and to have a church go from that to a church that really has embraced the idea that everybody's welcomed here, and a, a church that has had such a vital ministry to the poor and the homeless of the neighborhood, and allowed itself to have its heart warmed and softened. That is a powerful story, and that you know that speaks volumes. That's one of the reasons I love Highlands. That's and and now, uh, right now, uh, that story used to be told in civil rights books in maybe a reference or a sentence, but now people are writing about that more fully. That story is even being known more in academic circles, and people are beginning to explore that that story, uh, at least naming what happened at Highlands. And I think the next chapter, 
and that's the chapter that you and I get to live in, is what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. How, do, how, do we, how, do we, uh, how do we tell that story and live into the future of a church where our congregation looks more like the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. more looks like the fullness and diversity of God's family than it did when it was started as a wealthy, aristocratic, industrialist-based mm-hmm. congregation? How do, how do we live into that? And uh, sometimes we get it really right. Sometimes it's a little messy, and we don't quite get it right. But I think, uh, to use a Wesleyan term, uh, we're moving on to perfection. And that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're moving on to be more what God created us to be, to understand what God calls us to be. And I think a great barometer, it's one reason I like you, Phil, because <laughs> you're, you're really into urban development. You, th- mm-hmm. you think in those terms. A good barometer of how well our church is doing is how well our neighborhood's doing, uh, that we're not so insulated, we're just thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about the person who lives on the street. We're thinking about uh, the quality of life in our neighborhood, and that is a way, uh, that is a place that we really can uh, make a difference, and we have some real possibility on that. And I, that's uh, you know, S- Steve Alexander has just gotten the caps, the uh, business improvement district, mm-hmm. which is a great opportunity for us to increase the the quality of life in our neighborhood, and to to deal with some of these these uh, issues like homelessness and poverty in the neighborhood in a positive way, not just sort of uh, move it aside and say mm-hmm. not in our neighborhood. And, I, you know, I see the merchants and us getting closer to common ground on those kind of issues mm-hmm. than maybe we were uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And that may be a little idealistic, but that's okay. Yeah, well, that's our job. That's right. Um, but what about the the literal turning around uh, the church campus? That's part of the story. Yeah. So yeah. talk about that for a second. Well, uh, in um, the late, very late 40s, early 50s, somebody somewhere decided that this old Reformation-style sanctuary with a pulpit in the center and the choir behind it, that the sanctuary literally faced the other direction. What's now the chancel wasn't there. The, the pulpit would have been under the balcony. And they came and they put this big balcony in, which the balcony kind of has some problems, but they added the chancel, and it's like they were preparing for the future mm-hmm. for uh, our um, unique worship style at Highlands, which is, is, feels very unique in a Methodist, uh, United Methodist Church. I think Micah and Rick have helped cement that so much. They, Micah loves liturgy. Rick loves uh, good church music. We're we're proudly people who use hymnals and like the organ, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, our worship is very unique. And uh, so all the pieces for that were in place. We just weren't quite using them uh, as they were fully intended, and Micah understood that. We have communion more frequently than we used to. Uh, we, we have a very sacramental understanding of worship and our faith, and uh, I think that's really good. I think, I think uh, the other thing I think about Highlands is we're authentically who we are. Uh, we like good quality liturgical worship. 
Some people would say high worship, but I think liturgical and good worship. We have a real passion for the neighborhood, for the social gospel, for caring for the poor and being uh, responsible for our, our, our community, city of Birmingham. We, we're a thinking church. We, we like to study. We like to think. We like to wrestle uh, in a positive way with our faith and what that means. Uh, we're civil to each other when we disagree. We, we work through it, and uh, I think that's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, when I first joined, when Sarah and I first joined, you said something along those lines, like that a church can connect with people or a congregation can have a certain personality, and uh, it could manifest itself as like maybe a more emotional, um, you know, an, an emotional expression, right? Or maybe uh, deeds and acts kind of expression, or a more cerebral kind of intellectual. And you said that there's some part of Highland's character that we it's it's the cerebral, the intellectual type engagement. Is that am I remembering that right? Yeah, I do. Th- I think that's right. I think <clears throat> I think uh, our faith tends to live either in our head, our heart, or our hands. Okay, it's yeah, that's kind, <laughs> kind of how I think about that. Uh-huh. And I think. Um, you know, there's some congregations that, well, I'll give you a great example. Trees fell down in Homewood and Cahaba Heights and mm-hmm. Mountain Brook this past weekend. Uh, there were some churches that were there with chainsaws. Mm-hmm. They, they were there cutting trees down and doing that. Um, we have a few chainsaw-type people, but, but, <laughs> but most of our people would think, ooh, that's really bad, and uh, you know, maybe I could take them some coffee or write a check yeah. or something. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're not really the jump in with your hands. We've, we've tried that. Um, I think we've, we're becoming more of a heart-centered church, and I think more of a hand-centered church, but we're, we're pretty cerebral uh, if, I had to, if I had to put in one of those categories. But I think we're also seeing that the future is a faith that might be a little less what we believe and more what we do. We talk about that a lot. Dinah Butler Bass, who was with us back last February, she talked in those terms a lot. And that's kind of shaping a little bit of what we do and, and how we're, we're moving. Um, is I, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is an aside, but it's related. I asked her... I said, I feel really good about Atrium at Highlands. Our youth group's really good. EFM's really good. I think we're doing great things with there, but sort of the middle Sunday school, the traditional Sunday school, sort of middle uh, traditional Sunday school, we hadn't quite got that figured out. And she said, well, I think your Sunday school should look more like your youth group. Your youth group's very healthy. And she Mm -hmm. had met some of our youth. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, that's when we put together the pilgrimages to EJI. We made some field trips. Mm-hmm. And people responded to that. Uh, the parenting class kind of came out of that. Uh, we're looking at an outdoor adventure group. Some, somebody's going to uh, be leading some church hikes and maybe some bike trips uh, in the coming spring. That's something we're working on. So we're, we're trying to make uh, our adult formation look more like our youth group rather than being so heady. Mm-hmm. But, you know, getting out, being active, doing some stuff. Yeah, so let's talk about her, because she has a book that uh, a leadership group read, Christianity After Religion. Yes. Right? And uh, Anne Rand put it very well. 
um, tell me if you think this is the right characterization or if I'm misremembering it, but church used to be uh, believe, believe, behave, belong. Right. Uh, and now um, just kind of the changing nature of, as, as, as uh, she said, you know, kind of the changing sociology of Sundays, now it's belong, behave, believe. And it kind of speaks to creating an experience yep. that that makes you feel like you belong, and then you get to the believing through that. Yes, that is exactly what she said, yeah. and I think that's exactly right. And and a part of that, uh, I can't remember when that book was written, but it was it was really before. Uh, it's over a decade old, maybe two, but she was right on target. And I think that has become even more so because a lot of people uh, are looking at the church and seeing that our actions and our beliefs don't line up. Mm-hmm. The church generally, not uh, yeah, Highlands. Yeah, the yeah. church generally. Right. That, and, and so that uh, there is a little disconnect and distrust, particularly from young people. Uh, you know, uh, Christians say these things, but they're doing something else. And so, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, many young people are very willing to jump in and do something to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. uh, but they may not come to the connection of a Christian lifestyle for that until further down the road. So mm-hmm. uh, m- her point was, uh, maybe we ought to involve folks in doing stuff and then let them come to mm-hmm. leaving. Yeah, uh, through that that used to be the starting point, but now it may be the finish line. Yeah, yeah. To, I mean, it kind of makes sense the way institutions have changed generally. Yep, just totally dissolving or evaporating or or changing outright. There is something. Uh, What's well, it's interesting about Highlands because we have this incredible historic church, which makes you think of. The institution as it was, and we have what she called high worship. What did you call it? Not high worship. Liturgical worship. Liturgical worship. Um, that's really such an incredible experience. But but it's not like there's no guitar. We don't have guitars. You know, there's no um, projectors with the lyrics up there. It's not like other churches that do that. Um, so it, the form of the aesthetic of the experience. Is quite old and quite traditional. Of course, our theology is not not that, um, but it's still an incredible ex- experience. And uh, and it could be, I it, it's just, it's just an interesting kind of paradox. But it still fits in the uh, belong, behave, believe. You know, the new paradigm, for lack of a better word. Um, it certainly has felt that way to Sarah and me when we first walked through the doors and thought, "This is, this feels right. This is an experience that we that we want." Yeah, I, I think a lot of people tell us that that they walk through the doors and it feels right. Uh-huh. And I, I think one of the things we're trying to do is figure out how to get more people present to experience that. And I have to, t- I have to, I shouldn't give this away, but I'm going to. <laughs> so in 1818. Uh, there's a church in Germany that the organ broke on Christmas Eve, and they were very devastated that they weren't going to have their children's choir sing and the organ 
on Christmas night. And so the choir director and the priest in the church wrote a hymn, Silent Night, that could be played on guitar. And so we're going to end the children and family worship service this Christmas Eve, the 1030 service. We have four or five guitarists coming who are going to play Silent Night, and we're going to sing it by guitar. So we're doing that not only because it fits on Christmas Eve, but we're about to lose our organ for Mm -hmm. a number of months Mm -hmm. uh, because of the repairs and renovation of the organ. So we might be doing some of that sort of stuff. This might be a time to play with that a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. And in in Micah's kind of a state of the church address to the leadership group a few weeks ago, he talked about he talked about that. And let me ask you this, and then we'll get out of here. I know we're running long. Um, Micah talked about maybe bringing back a second service besides the 1030. Um, maybe it doesn't need to be at 830 in the morning like it used to be in the chapel. Um, uh, where, are the, where are the talks in, amongst the staff and I won't pin you down to anything, but you know, what are some ideas that you find interesting about a second service? Well, um, I don't know that we're really anywhere other than what you just said, mm-hmm. that, that we're, we're, we're wondering about that. Um, there is something to be said uh, in our post-pandemic world of uh, smaller numbers in worship, which I think is a new reality. Um, that hopefully we will grow from that. But there is something to be said about being together that I think we also like to. When I came to Highlands in 1989, the, the church literally sat empty through the week. There was, there was Sunday morning uh, worship. There was youth group on Sunday night, and the United Methodist women met uh, once once or twice a month. And other than that, the building sat empty. There was nothing happening in the church school building, uh, in the classrooms. There were, it just happened on Sunday morning. And we decided that to be better stewards of that and to be involved in the community, making the place better, that's the Highlands Child Care Center grew out of that, to, to really try to fill and give some life and energy to the place. And I think it's done that very successfully. I kind of feel the same way about the sanctuary. I wish, uh, I think we use it pretty well on Sunday. Uh, What if we had uh, a service during the week? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've even thought, and this is really radical, I've even thought, what if we, another congregation, you know, what if uh, a Hispanic congregation or, you know, somebody who didn't have a building uh, could use our space? Mm -hmm. We could share that, and, and so our... As stewardship of this space, we're we're allowing someone else to do that. Um, we're we really like to think we're a, a big church. We kind of have a big church attitude, but we're not a big church. I mean, mm-hmm. we're 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 pretty. Mm-hmm. We are big, but we're we're not we're not a, a an over the mountain suburban church with you know yeah. thousands of members. We're we're in the hundreds of members, right? And so uh, I just I think that that might be an interesting thing. Uh, what if what if the Wesley Foundation ministry at UAB was so big and so successful that they wanted to have weekly worship of Methodist youth 
uh, at college students, and they came in. I mean, there are all kinds of things. So that's that's kind of how my brain works around that. But uh, uh, I just I kind of think of it in stewardship of space. Someone else was using the space. That's a great idea. I love that. I mean, it's uh it's exciting to be in. For me, I mean, I'm a city planner geek, so then maybe this is just me. But to me, it's still exciting to be at Five Points. Five Points is so unique and historic, and has a, such a such a important place in the city. And then to be in our sanctuary, it's still exciting to walk in there every time. It's it's impactful. Um, so I, I can't imagine that that other folks wouldn't feel that way and wouldn't love the opportunity to to be there. Yeah. I think so too, and I love. I mean, some of the ideas that are, uh, come out of strategy and planning that it, some of the leadership been thinking about. You know, what if we did a Shrove Tuesday Jazz Mass? Oh yeah, I was yeah. I I love that idea. Or what if on St. Patrick's Day, when there's literally tens of thousands of people in the mm-hmm. neighborhood? I never. I all the years I've been at Highlands, this was the first year I was really down at Five Point South on St. Patrick's Day. What if we gave tours of the church that day right. and just walked through people through the building right. and did that with a sense of excitement? I, th- I, I think we've got some good ideas. There's a good energy at Highlands right now. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm excited about the, the business improvement district. I think the timing is really right for us to really kind of fling the doors wide and, and do some stuff mm-hmm. that would be exciting and different. Yeah, that, that Shrove Tuesday, uh, or the Shrove Mass uh with uh, the dressing up, and that's such a cool idea that yeah. Kathleen came up with. Yep. I can't wait till we we flesh that out. Me too. Um, all right, we're we're about out of time, but I do want everyone to know that this Sunday we will have um, cookies for the congregation um, as kind of our halftime snack. You know, <laughs> like when you're a kid playing soccer and you get the orange slices. These are sugar cookies. And uh, and it's kind of a reminder of hey we're at halftime let's let's have a sugar rush to the end of it. This is going to be a big Sunday. We've got the uh, children's pageant. Sam Bishop is being baptized, a new baby that adopted mm-hmm. into our church. The right. family, it's beautiful. It's going to be a great and and cookies. What could be better? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I hope we make enough. All right, Reggie, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I've enjoyed it. <laughs>